Welcome to the Product Podcast by Product School. Here's a preview of today's talk. So to sum it up, these are kind of other things I hear about in mentorship. Like, what course should I take? Should I take a mobile development course? Should I take a self-driving coding course? What should I do? Kind of focusing on those hard skills, and which is certainly important. Second part is, like, what's wrong with my resume? How come I'm not getting any traction with it? How can I do better? And then finally, this is kind of, I don't think anyone really says this, it's just kind of how I felt when I was uh, in the product management, but how can I get into the club? Like, I don't have direct product experience, it feels like a club, how do I convince people to do that? And I believe that, sure, Hard skills, learning how to code, be able to help, but also lost top skills to be able to help with that and really take it over the edge and differentiate you. Whether that's, hey, you're starting out with a product manager position or you're just trying to level up. So, generic advice that I give. I say focus on a couple things. You can't do them all. I know there's like some silly word about the quote that's like, hey, write down 20 things that you want to do over the next year and then cross out 18 of them. You have two left and don't do any of the other team. In this podcast, we teach our listeners valuable lessons about product management and transform them into thinking like a product manager. We teach product management, coding, data analytics, and blockchain in 14 campuses worldwide, including San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. You can find more information at productschool.com. Join our Slack community of 25,000 professionals to network and stay tuned for our upcoming events. So, I want to talk about today just the softer side of product management. I couldn't really come up with a better description other than that. You might have heard it in terms of like emotional intelligence or basically things that aren't in the technical skills that or get your foot in the door, or anything outside of that aspect. So, before you can really dive into anything about this talk, I just wanted to see what you guys thought, or had any reactions to the latest bird that has been throughout Camberville. Um, what do you guys think about this from a product perspective? Any Any strong opinion? People are talking about it. Yeah, people are talking about it, for sure. Um, but if you read the news, that there's a lot of reactions to this. So, what is it? It's an electric scooter that you can uh, reserve just get around. Not that big of a deal. But, there's a big impact that's going to happen. There's all these policy implications. Hey, where didn't get these uh, requirements from the city of Cambridge, Somerville? If they're seen in Boston, they're just going to be banned outright, the mayor said, and taken to a tow yard. So it's just interesting, I thought at least, that there's a lot of possibilities for how a product is delivered, how people perceive it, uh, how it's communicated. I've heard obviously went the route of, hey, we're just going to drop it on the streets and see what happens, and that's kind of their strategy. Um, and you can think of that a lot in product in general, of how you communicate and how things are received. Um, I'm not saying this is the best way to go for sure. I don't think it would be very successful if you're just kind of doing whatever you want in your product job and not really listening to anyone else, but just a fun story. 
think I spent too much time on the slide. So, before we step in a bit more, so part of this talk was going to be about it, and this is something that I've done since I've gotten into products. And I started out a uh, very similar course to product school. I was started at General Assembly. There's obviously some other things going on in terms of what I was trying to accomplish and career transitioning, but this was definitely a big milestone for me. And a lot of the feelings that happened through this were you know, all of this projection and continuing to work towards a milestone and just trying to get to that next level. And it's, it's a really difficult path and so, something that you uh, don't necessarily want to forget about. And it's something that related to products, it's kind of a day-to-day -day thing. Not everything's going to be a given. Uh, and so I want to tie in mentorship and kind of how a product is working. So when I, my first product job for the Zoopsters in Miami, this is kind of the look on my face for most of my time there. It was like a lot of fun, it was exciting, it was learning a ton, but it was also super stressful. And it was very difficult to manage all these things. And I was kind of learning and making decisions and working on things that were all new to me. And it was very difficult to kind of tell if I was doing a good job or not. Was I even working on the, the product that customers wanted? Um, was I making my internal stakeholders happy? It was kind of difficult to tell. And a lot of the times I hear um, people that I mentor, currently I'm mentoring a group of people from the Awesome Product Manager Association in May. And you know, they're saying a lot of the similar things. So, it's really difficult to, to um, know if I have the right set of skills to move forward. Uh, what should I be focusing on? Same thing at Wayfair. So I was there for a short amount of time, but uh, worked with uh, people from Wayfair Labs, just an engineering program to kind of get people in the door, work on some real coding projects, business to production, go through that process, as well as a product manager. And you can kind of see how it's really difficult to manage learning, uh, being able to work on these new hard skills at the same time when really the focus can be, hey, can you code? Hey, can you design? Um, the same thing happens with Intrepid, where we have apprentice projects. Similar story. We have uh, apprentices come on as kind of a provisional hire. They work through and create mobile apps, web apps. These are actually real apps that didn't get released in the app store, but were fully functional. We just had these static screens here. But it's really difficult to, to work through this and kind of tease out and balance the difference between, hey, I've never used Sketch before. Uh, I have to just work with that. And at the same time, it doesn't really, you know, I'm working in sketch, but I also have to make these other decisions. I have to talk to different people. It can be really difficult to balance all those things. And I think that's uh, just a really uh, difficult place to, to emphasize when you're kind of starting out. Or career transition. Let's say I know a couple of people in the audience are in advertising. They want to change to a different industry. You can kind of go through those same kind of feelings of, hey, I want to start somewhere, I'm trying to make this change, it's really hard, how do I communicate that even though I don't have this other experience that's outside of advertising, how can I do that and convince someone for a new position? 
So to sum it up, these are kind of other things I hear about in mentorship. Like, what course should I take? Should I take a whole development course? Should I take a self-driving coding course? There's some mobility on it, so you're um, What should I do? Kind of focusing on those hard skills. And which is certainly important. Second part is, like, what's wrong with my resume? How come I'm not getting any traction with it? Where, uh, how can I do better? And then finally, this is kind of, I don't think anyone really said this, it's just kind of how I felt when I was uh, in the product management, but how can I get into the club? Like, I don't have direct product experience, it feels like a club, how do I convince people to do that? And I believe that, sure, hard skills, learning how to code would be able to help, but also, well, soft skills would be able to help with that and really take it over the edge and differentiate you. Whether that's, hey, you're starting out as a product manager position or you're just trying to level up. So, generic advice that I give. I say focus on a couple things. You can't do them all. I know there's like some silly word about the quote that's like, hey, write down 20 things that you want to do over the next year and then cross out 18 of them, you have two left, and don't do any of the other 18. I don't think you have to be that extreme <laughs> or decisive, but you definitely want to focus on what it is for you. What kind of product manager position do you want to be in? Uh, what kind of role, what kind of company do you want to work for? Stemming off that too, passion. Like, you can do a lot of different things as a product manager position. You can be more of a project manager. You can almost be a designer. You can be kind of a scrum master. It really depends on the context. It depends on the how big the company is, um, but kind of tease that out. And lastly, it's all about perspective too. Um, it can feel a lot of the times like, hey, I'm not doing it as good as I should be. And I've seen a lot of product managers, uh, one recently from BPMA, who reached out to me and he had an MBA, he had a background in music production, which is a very technical process, and had his own startup that didn't work out. And he was applying to like entry level product analyst positions just because he thought he didn't have the requisite skills. And I was like, why? He's like, go for a product manager position. What's holding back? You know, and I think he was afraid of the rejection. He was afraid that he didn't have all of those uh, skills that he thought he might need to have. I think that stems a lot from this diagram. Has anyone seen this diagram? I hope so. So this is one of those like overarching diagrams. Man diagram from Martin Erickson. He's been in Boston uh, a couple times, but he's a high end product guy. We're gonna dive into this a little bit. So we talked about all right, why is mentoring important? What am I seeing on the ground? Uh, what did I experience? We're gonna dive into some of the what I would call these are more of the hard skills. So one thing that I always say about product is that it's, it's really good. Uh, you can be like this guy here, uh, I don't really know if that's a great representation of product, but you're always tinkering, you're always experimenting, you're wrong about 80 or 90 percent of the time. Uh, and then the other part of the time you have to convince people that maybe you made the right decision. It can be really tricky. Not only that, it's also a mess most of the time. You probably know uh, like everything wrong with your product and company, and you also know things that are wrong with other departments that you're working with. It can be really tough. At the same time, you kind of have to work through that and move forward. It can be difficult to do that day to day. 
But I would say it's still a lot of fun. It's engaging, it's dynamic, it's different. Um, I don't know if my fiance over there would agree with me that uh, maybe I'm a little crazy about it sometimes. But uh, I still think it's a great place to be and a really interesting town. So get back to this. <coughs> so I really think that while this diagram we've probably seen many times, uh, it really hits on a core subject. So this is just trying to say, hey, typically it says it's up there, it says the product management. So you exist in this intersection of business, UX, technology, there are all these other versions of this that are better, worse, what have you. But what I want to pose to you guys is why do you think that this is a new role? If you have enjoyed the episode so far, check out our upcoming live events at productschool.com slash events. Use the promo code PRODUCTPODCAST in all caps to get a free ticket to the next event in your city. But you can also think at the end of the day, say that the company is strapped for cash. Say you're a small company just starting out. Do you really need Let's say if technology, if that shirt is all filled out, you can imagine this is like filled up with how much expertise you have in that area. If you know you're doing pretty well in technology, maybe you have some design or UX piece that's kind of a generic bucket. Um, you really don't always need that. This middle intersection. And I think that's important because you have to remember that you're not uh, necessarily like a foundational piece. You, you exist to help out others. You exist to make all these other positions work better. Um, and I think that a lot of product managers are thinking about, hey, I want to get into product management. You have all these you know, ideas about Steve Jobs or you're going to be coming up with all the ideas about how to implement them and come up with this best product ever. And I think that's always a great place to start. But at the end of the day, you have to remember that you're never going to be you know, the technology expert that the company is going to rely on, or necessarily the business expert, or the UX expert. That's really not your role. Your role is to just help everyone do a better job. All right. Now we're going to see how we do that. So uh, I'm giving a little preview, but I think you can achieve that by using some software skills. And by the way, we'll have a question Q&A session at the end, so feel free to save them. But if you really have a burning question, you can. So similar to that Venn diagram of all the intersection of different functional areas, there are also I think this came out from good bad product managers. <coughs> But there was this big piece about, hey, product managers are the mini CEO. And I think that I internalized this when I was starting out. I was like, oh, I'm going to be a product manager. I'm going to determine all these key decisions. I'm going to decide whether things get you know, built or not. I'm going to have so much leverage. And really, it doesn't work out that way. You might think that in some cases, it might feel that way. But really, it's not. But Functionally, you can't be like a mini CEO, but you have to learn these kinds of things. And you're dependent on others to kind of have that sort of leverage. So, 
you're working with multiple teams as a product manager. Uh, what you can do is you can make them happy with you. Uh, you can earn people's trust. People can confide in you. I think what's really interesting about this intersection here is that you don't necessarily have that direct authority or you're not necessarily the one person to order is that you're able to have conversations with people that they may not have with other people. Um, for instance, like Zipcar, I was able to have a lot of conversations with the Tomato Department and kind of some issues that were going on there. And it was kind of like a sidebar mentorship type conversation where I didn't really have any control over the situation that was going on. I did, you know, give some advice, but probably wouldn't work out. But you can hear them out. You can, um, have engaged with them. You can create a relationship. And then hopefully later on, you'll be able to kind of work together. Um, you'll trust each other and hopefully make a better product. It can be very personal. I would say that this is just, you know, all of these circles are really people at the end of the day, and so you definitely have to be mega people-centric. So as I was saying before, so okay, you don't have authoritative power to be like, okay, we're uh, going to go in this direction 100%. But you do have some other powers. What do you guys think of the, what kind of powers does a product manager have? Prioritizing yourself? Yep. Long-term vision. Long-term vision, for sure. Being a central sponsor, like stakeholder input, and like a lot of perspective and Yeah, for sure. I think those are all great points. So I've kind of distilled a lot of these kinds of powers. There are a lot of psychological ideas and theories about these, but this is kind of the simplified version. So one that's super effective is being an expert, I think, like Emily said. So you can know the product in and out. You can know the history of the products. Think of like the first 90 days kind of talk. You see a lot of articles about that, of making a real impact within the first 90 days. Um, reading all the wiki, reading whatever, uh, maybe going a little too deep on it, talking to everyone. Um, but I can do an example. So when I was in Zipcar, we had uh, outsourced most of the mobile app development historically. So Zipcar had a Mobile app for a very long time, uh, but we never did any of the development in house. We brought it in house. I came on a, uh, when the first iteration of the app was just about to go out and help shepherd that in. But really, the company as a whole didn't understand the development. The design team, the marketing team, uh, most of the engineering group, it was new. And so we had to kind of evangelize it. And also, I had the luxury of my boss being five hours ahead. Um, so most of the time, it's my first product job. I have to answer all these crazy questions that no one knows about um, and be like a liaison along with Merrill here uh, to the rest of the company. But eventually, you know, that started to let me have a lot of traction meetings. I was invited to these high-level meetings, even though it was pretty entry-level. Um, I would be able to answer a lot of questions that people had. People started to trust me. Now, certainly, I wasn't you know, answering every question, 
There were certainly technical questions that no historical things I didn't always know about. But also, I was able to consolidate it, make it easier to consume, uh, communicate in different ways. And so that just helps a lot. It, it allows people to uh, engage with you in different ways. And really be uh, like a meaningful person on, on your team, around your place. Another one, reward power. And you guys heard about, you know, product manager bringing the donuts. I, I think that uh, you, know, you can bring in donuts all the time. It may work out for you, you know, you want to celebrate for releases and things like that. But you can also just be thankful for people working alongside you. Uh, you can just be nice. You can uh, encourage certain behaviors of, hey, uh, I noticed that you've been helping out the designers. Like, thank you for doing it. You know, just working alongside with other people. Another thing that's super easy, I know it's at least review time for me Intrepid, so you can help people out by saying, hey, uh, you know, just giving your views. People have worked with you in the trenches, you've worked on releases. It's a great way that people are able to like, utilize that experience working together in a positive way. I'm not just saying, hey, you know, you're like giving out good reviews so that people like work for you more. It's not anything manipulative like that, but it's just kind of Part of the relationship. What has to happen when we don't have authoritative CEO power? And the last one I want to emphasize is reverent power. And what that means is a weird word. It just means that people enjoy being around you. People look up to you. Um, maybe you carry yourself in a certain way. And this isn't to say that, you know, hey, you're just going to be friendly with everybody and everyone's going to love you. It's, it's not going to be like that. But it's just some presence. It's a common force. It's, hey, the product manager is really good at translating something that the client says, at least in my perspective. You know, there's a lot of uh, client input that happens and it can be confusing. And so a lot of my job is translating it to easy to digest work. Say, hey, this is what we have to worry about. Let's not worry about this. And that just helps everyone work together better. So one other thing, I just wanted to tie in, you know, we talked about before in terms of mentorship and those kinds of relationships that I think are really effective in the product development cycle, product management area. Um, but I wanted to just talk about it in one other way. Because it might be difficult to tell, like, hey, you know, how, how do I engage these soft skills? Like, how do I know, how do I really uh, know when I should uh, communicate in a certain way, uh, just let people down easy if I have to disappoint them, like, how's that going to work? So, hopefully this will help. So a great way to kind of engage these skills is just to be aware. Um, and you can even be at a really micro level. You could be, okay, I just was in a meeting, and maybe you had to talk about a lot of different things. How did it go? Was I coming from a place of like nervousness, stress? Uh, I can give you one example. So I was on a client call about last week, and the client had a big demo coming up for this IoT connected TV system. Probably TV is bigger than this, and it was like the crux of their demo to their big CEO and to a couple other uh, vendors, and it was really important for them. 
and we were providing daily builds of just little iterations and tweaks uh, that the engineering team was, was developing. And we had a couple things left. We had some issues, so we were trying to iron out. I was on a stand-up type call, and there was a developer who just had the day off, and he had a couple tickets to sign to him related to that demo. We're getting closer to the demo. And I just, you know, was running stand-up, no big deal, you know, we were talking a lot about this demo, everything's going fine. And I just said, oh, and there's some tickets to sign to Mark, and like, it'll be fine, you know, he's, he's a day off. And there was just silence from the stakeholder. And I also got really worried. It's like, oh man, does he trust that we're going to be able to do this? He was not very communicative. Um, he was doing these like kind of one-liner emails. It's like, is he trusting that we're going to do that? And so we got off this stay up and we used a phone call. And he asked the team, hey, do you guys like think that uh, the stakeholder like what do you think about that? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. You know, we've been like talking to him on the side. Like, it's totally cool. So it's just a little good check-in, just to be aware. Like, if you can have these little moments of, hey, like, how did that go? Did I say that the right way? You're working alongside other people, and they can give you that feedback. You don't have to wait for some grandiose. Um, and not only that, you can also just be aware of how other people are feeling around you. It's a big part of product management. Are people like super stressed? Is uh, Jason? from QA, is he uh, like having a hard time focusing? Is something going on? Maybe we should go just talk to him and see what's up. That can be really effective and help you engage all those like driving trustworthiness, communication, those kind of things. You can also catch yourself doing some weird stuff. I don't mean to say that you have to like have a surveillance camera on your head like recording everything all the time, but it's just a helpful thing to think about. Another kind of weird one is trying to flip your perspective to say that everyone is doing their best in any given moment. Now I know that in product development, we said that it's hard. It's, uh, you know, you don't know if product market fit is going to happen. You don't know if the customer's going to like what's happening. Your team is under a ton of stress. Oh, you're running out of money. Everything's going bad. And it's very easy to get into some sort of bullying. It's very easy to, and, to say, oh, this stakeholder is being crazy, all oh, this client oh, is fully off base. It doesn't really get you anywhere. And you're not necessarily in control of that situation. It doesn't really help you not part on it. I think, you know, there's also the kind of thought process around ignorance versus malice here, but I think it's a good way to think about this. Just everyone's doing their best and at a given moment, there's lots of circumstances around that. Totally fine. Can't control but on the flip side, we can always do better. We can use any of those soft skills, uh, technical skills, hard skills to do better. So you don't have to be down on yourself if for some reason you're releasing a product and it totally tanks and beat yourself up about that. Just know that you can be better next time. You can't necessarily change the past and, and focus on it. And this is just something that I emphasize with mentorship in general. Just Good way to stay positive. I want to end it this time on some other pieces of like tropes of product management. So I stole this uh, image from Intercom, yeah, this really cool character. So if you're a product manager, you're new, you're 
your experience, a lot of the things that you're told to do is ask why questions. Why are we prioritizing this? Why don't we decide to uh, implement this feature before this? It's a very good question. It helps get at root causes in any sort of like post-mortem situation of some big crisis happens. Uh, certainly no Wayfair. Our team managed to take down all of Wayfair, I think, four times while I was there. So no one can check out internationally, just on the script. Getting lots of scenarios like that. But you can say, why? I'll give you one other example. I was on site at a client. We were at this massive, I don't know, I don't know why the table is so big. We're at this huge table, very far apart from each other. There's like five people in the room. And we were just going over some roadmap plans. And the client got into the habit of, hey, we have a decent amount of scope for this upcoming release, but then the version after that was always like a mile long. It was everything that they wanted for 10 years. Just ongoing stuff. And so I kind of dug into it. I was like, why, you know, what are we trying to accomplish with the version 2.2? Um, like, what's the rationale behind that kind of why questions? And the client got mad. He's like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> and it's kind of changed the whole dynamic of the conversation. And luckily, you know, the team was able to smooth everything over. But you have to understand that this kind of question can be very probing, very uh, combative. And especially in the context that you deliver it, which I was, it was amongst his peers, you know, we're a consultant, it's all the other VPs and whatnot, and he kind of felt threatened by that. Like, what, you, you're telling me I can't do my job? Like, what, why are you asking why? Like, this is the roadmap. Another thing I like to think about is, hey, we like to have uh, decisions based on data. Don't worry, like, we're going to make a logical decision because I have all this data to back it up and I'm going to present this case and everything's going to go great. Does anyone have an example of, of when they use data to back up a decision? Like, it presented it to a stakeholder? How did it different geographic locations. 
but that was very hard to measure and very hard to justify. It was also hard to know what conversion would look like at different performance points, and also it was hard to fix. So that data point was difficult to push through because yeah. data is not black and white. But later it turned out that that was the method. Right. So that example, it sounds like the data might have been there. Maybe it was more information, not too actionable. It was really hard to synthesize all together and then tease out what's going on. Well, they're all great stories. I would say for this, what I'm trying to get across is, all right, say you make the best case ever. Someone can just say, nope, don't agree with So it can be really difficult. It's another one of those positions where you have to really Leverage different kinds of skills. How did you communicate? When did you communicate? Uh, is it in the format that whoever you're trying to convince likes? Did they have a bad day? Uh, <laughs> any number of those things. Another thing, just a slight aside, is <clears throat> I had a, an example about uh, kind of positioning a release cycle for a mobile app. And just to say, hey, if we had, we're on this cadence of releasing, it would make all those other things really easy, and just to get features out there. And I presented that to a VPU product, and she just immediately said, no. No. But one thing to remember is that I can obviously see that you know this kind of came out of left field, she didn't fully understand it, and uh, I kind of didn't necessarily say, oh my god, the world's ending, uh, this is never going to work. Just wait again, bring it up another opportunity if you really believe in it, if you really think that the data is there. Um, no harm in doing that. And then finally, no. So I actually think that saying no is not that hard. I know that other crime managers say that to me and say, oh, do you want to do this crazy thing? And like, no. But the hard part is having people trust you enough to go with that decision. So I think it's kind of interesting here. So you have to say no to like, what kind of crazy stuff do we have to say no uh, We have to say no to like the next big thing, uh, something that all the customers want, uh, maybe some technical optimization, maybe performance based, maybe uh, supporting uh, additional users. All these things are good ideas. And you can't just do this. I don't think you can just go in the middle of everyone and just be like, no, I'm a product manager. Can't do it. You really have to have people that trust you to be able to do something like that. There has to be some sort of rapport going on, a mutual respect. Um, because at the end of the day, it's not necessarily a decision. It's the whole company. It's a broader context. It's where the strategic vision is going with it. You certainly might be a part of, but oftentimes, you know, a product is not the whole company. There's other things going on. So really, I think that these kinds of skills, the soft skills, think of it as kind of a mentoring experience. All the other team members that you're working with, it's not, if you're a mentor, just say, oh yeah, like don't do that, do this. Uh, don't take mobile time, of course, do data science. You can't say that, it's not necessarily going to be very effective. At the end of the day, it's going to be that person that you're working with that's going to make the decision. All you can do is influence them, have them trust you, 
stay in touch. And so that's why I think that having these kinds of relationships, uh, thinking about you know, focusing on where your passion lies, enabling others to kind of do the right thing, is what it's all about. So I know that people starting now or looking to like do better product management, don't forget that there are all these skills other than the Venn diagram you can really focus on and can make uh, your story of, hey, I have no product experience, uh, I'm just going to list out all this stuff and hopefully something will stick, to something really meaningful. And don't be, don't be afraid to wear a t-shirt like this. <laughs> It emphasizes uh, soft skills. Well, that's it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Product Podcast. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to know more about our courses and next courts, visit productschool.com. Stay tuned for the next episode to learn more about the secrets in product management.